Hey church, my name is Chris. I'm the executive pastor here at Vista Community Church. Uh, I have with me someone very special, the Reverend Norman Brown, the lead pastor of J. Jira Development Corporation, a, a church community based out of the Near East Side of uh, Columbus. And uh, well, we haven't met, uh, we, we met not, not too long ago, but we have a mutual friend who you guys have also met before, uh, Dr. Kevin Dudley. He's the executive director of Catalyst for Columbus and uh, a mutual friend of ours, and that's how we got connected. And uh, as soon as I met uh, Norman, I just uh, had to get more of him. Mm. Hope that didn't sound awkward, but no, I just had to okay. have more Norman. Right. And um, I'll tell you what, uh, when I think about uh, expressions of God's mission being lived out by leaders in our city, uh, a person where you can see the transformative work of the kingdom actually flowing through a person and a community and a team, it's people just like uh, Pastor Brown here. He is truly a modern day apostle. And it's our honor, it's our privilege to hear uh, about you, hear what God's doing in you and through you, mm -hmm. and uh, the word that we're gonna receive through you today. Um, it's just its just great to have you. I'm, uh, I'm about ready to just bust out laughing here. I just, I love you, man. I'm happy you're here. Thanks, Thanks for being here. Thanks for Chris. I, I'm glad to be here, man. Glad to be here. The, the thing, that, regarding our narrative that's really key is that the work that I'm doing, it never would have gotten done if I never gotten sick. Mm -hmm. I had to get, um, I had a stroke in July 1st, 2000, uh, 2007. And, um, the, and th four years ago prior to that, the Lord came to my sister in California and he gave her a word and he said, well, I'm gonna come to your brother and I'm gonna put him on his back but it won't be unto death. Mm. Uh, I'm just going to address and tweak some things in his life. And uh, so she had prayed and she didn't know who should she share this word with. The only person she felt like she should talk to and reveal this understanding was my wife. And so my wife Vivian, um, she heard what my sister had to say and her immediate response was, I don't receive that. She rejected that, um, she recoiled because, uh, and her family, all the men, they die, and the women raise their children by themselves, and that was her greatest fear, mm. that raising our daughter by herself because something had happened to her husband was her greatest traumatic experience. So hearing that kind of word was something that she just really could not embrace. So she did the thing that Mary did. She pondered in her heart for about four years until January of 2007, we're at church and we have a very small ministry. And, um, you know, she was, Lord, I get out your way. Lord, I submit to your will. I hear what you have to say. And we're like, oh, we don't know. Oh, praise God, praise God. Sister Brown's getting a breakthrough. We didn't know that she was actually getting out the way mm. until July 1st. Um, I was at my best friend's church, and uh, he wanted me to be his keynote speaker for their week of 50 years of the anniversary in, in Philly. And so I, I took my daughter with me, you know, preached a powerful word of God, right? And how we elevate, we really elevate our words. And so that evening, my friend Rodney had put me in a hotel. He took my daughter with him. He said, I'm gonna let you rest, Norm. And uh, so that night I went to the restroom and I fell on the floor because my leg wasn't working. I'm like, man, I must be really be tired, man. So I'll be fine. 
I'll be fine the next day. So Rodney came to come and get me, and I was no better. So he took me to a clinic, and then the clinic said, well, we don't want to diagnose you, but you need to go to emergency. And so the people in the emergency looked at me, and we said, well, we, we can't figure out what's wrong with the man, but we think, we think, they actually were practicing, right? Uh, we think that two arteries on the right side of his brain had collapsed. They caused my left side become paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of days in the hospital, I was recovering to where I can run up and down the stairs. Just by sheer coincidence, Chris, one of the members of our church just happened to go home to Philadelphia, mm -hmm. you know, if you believe in coincidence. And so um, um, he said, Pastor, I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll take care of you and your daughter, because he flew in and I drove in. So he, uh, name was Tyhan, but he picked me up from the hospital. Once they had released me, took me to my friend's, to my friend's house. He dropped me off. Two hours later, the room started spinning. And I had a severe stroke. And uh, so everyone decided uh, that Friday morning, I need to go back home to Columbus. And so that was the first time my daughter had seen me for that entire week. So she's freaking out. Daddy, why aren't you walking? Daddy, uh, why are they carrying you to the hospital? Daddy, what's wrong with you? And so uh, Diane drove me home. It was, I remember, I remember everything about that experience. So it was around 9.37 that Friday night. He drives up, him and, him and my wife, they actually dragged me into the house. And they sit me in the back room, in my TV room, in my chair. And so I spent the night there. So the next morning, it was 7.31, I wake up, you know, and say, hey, I need to go to the bathroom. So I move, and I slide into the floor. I'm completely paralyzed. And my daughter sees that, and she's done. It's completely done. And so my wife... For some strange reason, she doesn't call emergency. She calls my brother. <laughs> and so he broke all kind of laws to get to my house. And so he takes me to OSU Medical. And that's when the journey begins. Uh, if you remember, around that time, 2007, we had a global financial crisis, too. And um, so as a result, my wife was a stay-at-home mom. I had my own business, my own practice. So everything crashed and burns. And I'm in OSU Medical, repenting, asking God, whatever sin I committed, please let me know. I'll never, ever do it as long as I live. And I pride on the fact that I hear his voice. I hear nothing. It was like three weeks. Three weeks and went by, and I'm at Dodd Hall, the rehab center. And he finally speaks to me, and he says, Norm, I didn't call you to be an architect. I called you to be a developer. Ooh, developer. No, 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 wrong kind of developer. I want you, I want you to develop communities and people. I'm going to use your body to rehab it, right, construction. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna rehab your body to rehab three groups of people that are just as paralyzed as you are. Really, I want you to start this faith-based ministry and what you call it, J. Child Development Corporation. Really? You realize they strap me in the bed every night so I don't fall out, right? Mm -hmm. You realize I can't bathe and wash myself, right? You realize that they had to transport me. You really want me to do all this stuff? 
And I'm complete. Yes, yes, yes. This is what I want you to do. Where the money gonna come from? Don't worry about it. It'll be there when you get started. Okay. So the three groups of people he wanted me to minister to through this JJDC were the first group was at risk, at risk youth, ex offenders, mm -hmm. and veterans. The second group he wanted me to minister to through JJDC was a community that I used to live in when I was a small child, um, East Main Street or near East Side of Columbus. Um, I used to live there before they built the freeway. Now I'm starting to date myself. <laughs> um, and the third group of people he wants me to minister to was his own people, because they were paralyzed as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's when the journey begins, when I'm in a paralytic state. Now, keeping in mind, he, he didn't tell me I did anything wrong. He didn't tell me I need to repent for any sins. I just need to change the course of your life. And I was like, wow, really? But now, uh, 10 years later, my wife and my daughter, they praise God that I got sick. My congregation, they praise God that I got sick. And I imagine if people in my community, if they knew the narrative, they too most likely will praise God that I got sick. That's how he operates. This, uh, again, this is Pastor Norman Brown. I'm the senior pastor of JJR Ministries Church. Uh, some of your leadership asked me to come before you and share about um, the narrative God has given me and our family down at JJMC. I'm really heavy on acronyms, so you have to please forgive me. So um, I've been studying the last few months, and I began to realize that, that in the scriptures, there's a number of different um, uh, stories. It's just replete in the Bible of folks being in exile. And uh, the Lord helped me was beginning to understand that being in exile is a good thing. So we have certain people like, oh, there was this couple named Adam and Eve. They kind of messed up. They were exiled from the Shekinah glory of God. Um, they had a firstborn son. He too got exiled from humanity. Um, there was a guy named, um, oh, I think his name was Joseph. Yeah, he had a father and uh, his brother started hating on him real tough and he became exiled. Um, there was this mother and daughter-in-law. Um, one was named Naomi, one was called Ruth. They too were in exiled experience. Um, 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 oh, that's really overhanded, handed in over the Old Testament. Well, have anybody been in exile in the New Testament? Well, this guy named Yeshua, better known as Jesus. Philippians 2 tells us that he had glory and how he was raped and wrapped in glory, but he decided to put on slave clothes. Mm -hmm and he left his domain to become exiled in a very hostile culture. Yeah, yeah, there was a guy named John who was exiled on an island called Patmos because they didn't know what to do with him. And so I want to talk to you about JJMC, that how God, uh, when, we were, when we started our church, we were in our living room. And the Lord around 2009 began to tell me, I need to express to our congregation that he was going to sow us as a seed in Main Street. For real? On Main Street, Lord? You couldn't have done better in Main Street? Yeah, what about what about Upper Arlington or New Albany? You know, uh, you know, there's a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma going on in on Main Street. And so he said, I need y'all to understand, I need to sow you as a seed 
and it's 43205 zip code. So because of my background in architecture, see I have I have this three entity that he had me to establish. I'm the senior pastor of JHR Ministries Church. I'm the executive director of JHR Development Corporation. We're a faith-based nonprofit. I'm the president and CEO of NJB Consulting Services, which is an architectural firm and construction management. Yeah, I'm a really a busy boy, really busy boy. I wear multiple hats. Um, but the Lord helped me understand, according to Ecclesiastes, is that he wanted to use these three businesses to function as a three-four cord in this community that's been marginalized, in this community that we have been exiled to because a three-four cord is not easily broken. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, that's really interesting. That's really that's really fascinating. But but you know, but 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 why? What's the purpose? What's the plan? Because that's my nature. Design and plan and construct is what I do for a living. And he he really was holding back on that. Just do what I tell you to do. So when I began to investigate the scriptures, I found out also in the Old Testament there was a group of people. Um, the, the nation was called Israel. Um, but because of their disobedience, they too were put in exile. Um, and, and so as a result, um, the Lord had a letter that Jeremiah uh, was supposed to write down for them to be read. So I'd like to, like to read this letter and, and talk to you about two things. I want to talk to you how that JJMC, these three, four core ministries, um, how they function in a land that's been marginalized, where they function in the place of exile, to the, to the point where we're flourishing in exile. That's the narrative. How do you flourish when you're in exile? So I want to read a brief portion of this letter from Jeremiah, from the Lord, and it says, Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 9, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all, of his, to all those who have been carried exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage so that they too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace. The word peace is shalom, wholeness, wellness, completeness, and peace. And prosperity of the city to which I've carried you, I have carried you into exile. Hmm. Yeah. Come on. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, if it prospers, you too will prosper. Talking about flourishing. Verse eight, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams. You will encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. So, flourish, how do you, how do you flourish in exile? So, you have, a, uh, you have three Hebrew boys, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and the bad Negro. They, they, were, they were exiled. <laughs> they were exiled in Babylon, and, and, and had, then there was this guy named Daniel. He too, went in exile, and, and we read the narratives 
uh, in the beginning of the book of Daniel how they had adhered to the laws of their forefathers and they obeyed what their fathers had, had told them to do, but yet because of them dealing with outside forces to cause them to change their paradigm, change their ethics, the way of living, they stood firm on what they were taught. And as a result of going through the process, fiery furnace, lion's den, after that, after that event, they did not get delivered from those experiences, but God walked with them and delivered them through the process, and then all of a sudden, promotion comes as a result. But the narrative don't stop. Then they had to go through another transition, but then they became leaders and governors in a land that they were exiled in. Hmm, really? Interesting. Oh, I... That guy, that guy I mentioned earlier, his name is Joseph, where his brothers was loving on him real good. He, too, had to go through this process. He, too, had to go through this experience. But the word of the Lord says, but his favor, God's favor was on him at Potiphar's house, when Potiphar's wife lied on him, him being in prison. And eventually he got promoted to become not only the governor, he became a ruler unto Pharaoh, so that when Israel came and all of his children, they can move from a land of scarcity to a land of abundance so that they, the people of Israel, can flourish in a land that they were exiled. So, so what is, that's good for them old dead people. So give me some narratives. What does that look like for us current today? So, so let me talk to you about JJMC. So this community that the Lord's planted us as a seed uh, the 43205 zip code. In 2010, we were planted in this vineyard. Um, 05 was tied with 06 with the highest crime rate in the city. We had two gangs, one down the street from my church at Stoddard Avenue and another gang two blocks over on Lily Avenue called Mound and Burt. These were ferocious young people. Uh, many other churches were, were willing to leave but God in his infinite wisdom wanted to plant us in this vineyard. Uh, in 05, uh, 05 during 2010, um, the health department has shared with us that uh, the zip code had the highest chronic disease in the Midwest. That's high blood pressure, diabetes, and heart disease. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, but it, it gets even better, it gets even better. So there's a school, there's a school in this community where when, when, when Columbus Public Schools gets tested and graded by the state of Ohio, this particular school, all schools supposed to have a maximum score of 100, but this particular school came in at 3.6. Whoa, 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 okay, hold on. The maximum score of 100, but this local school that's serving this community came in at 3.6. 92% of the kids were going to school. No dropouts, the baby were going to school but they weren't learning anything. In the neighborhood where we were implanted as a seed, uh, they had over 100 vacant abandoned properties. Over 100 vacant and abandoned properties. The median income was 16,389, $16,389. Uh, 33% of the people who lived in this community had a mother and a father in their household. Yeah, 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 yeah. Real prosperous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad you sent us to this land, Lord. Yeah, yeah. This is really such a blessing. Really a blessing. 
But he's helping us understand, look at the narrative, look at the narrative, because there was his son who was draped in slave clothes. He was, he was sown as a seed, right? Because the Bible refers him to being the incorruptible seed. And that how, how God was incarnated in him so that he can reveal himself to mankind. And, and the Lord said, I haven't changed my plan. So if you want to understand how the kingdom of God operates, Norman Brown, I need you to understand, I need to sow this ministry, these three businesses, as a seed in the community that, has, that is hostile, that's marginalized. The irony is I used to live in this community where it was an African-American community. It was flourishing back in the early 1960s. Commerce was real prevalent there. My father was in our home. He used to take me to the barbershop, go a couple of blocks down, I remember so clearly. We'd go to Krispy Kreme after I got my, my wig busted. You know, there was, a, there was car dealerships where I remember seeing the cars and there was restaurants. But then in the infinite wisdom of our federal government, they decided to build infrastructures called I-70, I-71. And historically, we recognize that African-American communities, when these infrastructures get built, the property values in the communities begin to nosedive. But God had not forgiven this. He has not forgotten this community because there's a prophetic word that was spoken to Isaiah, that those who are in darkness, they will see the light. So the initial seed in the name of Yeshua, there was a community called Nazareth. And if you look up Nazareth, the Nazareth was the projects. It was a low-income community where a bunch of Gentiles lived. Really? Really? You want to have the chosen child living in that Mars? Yes, 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 yes. Because those who are in darkness, they will see the light. And so, now, and also at around 2014, the Lord spoke to me and I said, uh, I need you to walk out scripture. I need to send you as ambassadors of my kingdom to all the churches in this community. So when we, when we worship at JJMC, we worship on Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. Uh, not because we're so glorious and so high, you know, deep in the word. It's because God said to do that. I wish we were that spiritual. Anyway, I digress. So we visited all the churches in this community, and we found out there were 28 churches. 28 churches in a community that's eight blocks long and three blocks, eight blocks long and three blocks wide. That's a lot of churches. It's a lot of churches. You know, uh, uh, so, so the mission was you go visit them and have a conversation. What can we do together to bring the rule and reign of God to our community? And, and no one, no one went to go out and play. I said, Father, you knew that was going to happen. He said, don't worry about it. Just do what I tell you to do. I've given you assignment. I need you to get this done. So we began to go work in this community. The first thing that I did was that um, I began to build relationships. Now, now, that's hard for me because I'm a loner. I'm an introvert. Now, a lot of people today don't believe that is true, but I'm telling you the God's honest truth. I'm a very shy and best. I play well in the corner by myself. But for some reason, the Lord has given me this initiative to engage lives of people. That's why I'm here talking to y'all. So, um, so what we did was we began to engage. We began to 
incarnate. Ah, oh, that's a nice religious term. Uh, we began to incarnate ourselves, but our partnership was not with the religious community. It was a guy who owned property, uh, he owned an apartment complex, and he was an imam. Now, if you don't know what an imam is, an imam is like a pastor of the mosque temple. A mosque temple worshiper with a Christian pastor coming together for the, for the building of the kingdom of God? Really? It can it be so? Um, believe me, because he be, has become one of my dearest and closest friends. So what we did was we established a civic, civic, office, uh, civic organization, excuse me, because there was no voice, there was no presence of representation for this community to our leaders downtown. So we decided we were going to invite other community people, other residences, other business owners to become a part of this civic association. God had blessed my name in the marketplace. So I leveraged my name in the marketplace to say, hey, we, we, we need y'all to come to my church and let's have a conversation. So we invited the community, we invited the mayor's office, we invited um, city council members, we invited law enforcement, we invited all these people to come and talk to us and have this particular um, conversation. How can we improve this community? How can we make an impact so that we can build the kingdom of God? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so before I move forward, one of the things I'm just being reminded of, so in Columbus we have a guy named um, Ginther. He's our mayor. And, and, and so when he campaigned and ran for mayor for the very first time, he campaigned on three things. Neighborhood, neighborhood, neighborhood. Now, now city council and the mayor's office, they, they represent a lot of what I do. They give me their support of resources and they give me dollars. Not because I preach well, because I do that pretty good. However, because we support Neighborhood, neighborhood, neighborhood. And so since we are great supporters of the neighborhood, then that government has a propensity of supporting a kingdom government so that the rule and reign of God can show up in a marginalized, hostile environment. So uh, first thing that we did was we began to, because I didn't have any kids, in my church. So you can't be an effective, uh, uh, authentic church if you don't have a youth ministry. So I just grumbled and complained, Lord, we need, we need to have some kids because the folks we had, they either they didn't have any children or their children were grown. So the Lord said, you want to have a conversation about, you really want to talk about this? And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to step into it. He said, right down the street, three blocks down, there is that school that you found statistics on because in my kingdom, we adopt people. So why don't you adopt this school and bring all the resources that I put in your hands and in this ministry, and I want you to distribute them. My love, my kindness, and my mercy upon the residents of this school. So I went to the principal. I said, this is who I am. How can we be a help? How can we help you? And so his immediate response was, well, um, we need tutors uh, for our kids because the teachers won't stay after school and tutor the kids. Hmm, I paused on that. That was a seal-out moment for me. Hmm, the teachers won't stay after school and tutor the kids? Really? All right. 
Well, I reached out to Rosedale Bible College, brought them in to our school. They were helping the kids. Principal, what else can I do for you? That's, check that one off. What else can I do for you? He said, well, I'm, I don't know. Well, okay. So how about people need food? People always need food. How about we set up a food pantry inside your school? Remember now, this is a hostile culture, a marginalized community where we got two gangs, poor health and wellness, poor education, poor poverty, 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 everywhere. And when the Lord says, start as a seed, so adopt these kids because the son of God says, don't suffer the little ones to come before me. So we, we said to the principal, how about we put a food pantry inside your school? So I like Flintstones. So when Pebbles and Bam Bam come, right, um, uh, Betty and, and Wilma, they can come and say, hey, is, is you know any place where we can get any food? And the, the teacher would say, oh, yes, we got a church. They can put up a food pantry in here um, where you can get you some fresh, you can get you some canned goods. And so the requirement was in order to get the canned goods, you had to fill out this paperwork. And then the school would let me know. So, Mrs. Rubble, I understand that you came and got some, some, some canned goods from the school. I'm Pastor Norman Brown. We try to help you from that standpoint. What else do you need? And what we found out was that babies were sleeping on the floor. Babies are sleeping on the floor. Maybe that's a contributing factor why they're not doing so well in school. So God had blessed my name in a miracle place. So I leveraged my name. So I called all kind of folk. Hey, I got kids slipping on the floor. You got any beds? You got any houses? They're, they got furniture. And next thing you know, Pastor Brown, they were calling me up. I got stuff. We're stockpiling stuff in warehouses. So that's how I began to engage the community. And I got to know them, and they began to know me. And, and, and we kept doing a number of different things. We, we partnered with Middle Ohio Food Bank. We partnered with um, a graduate of the Ohio State University. We, we had the School of Regional Planning. They developed a complete master plan for the redevelopment of this community. We began to engage businesses and, and, other, and, and Mark Hummel Hospital and, and other folks because they had a passion to do things. So if you got a passion and a gift to do something, can you do that within the context of this community? And folks would say, sure we can. So then people began to come. And then the narratives began to change, where the gang seemed to, to disappear. Um, 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 05 is no longer the highest crime rate in the city. Um, um, health and wellness and diet and nutrition. Uh, folks are being fed fresh, pro fresh produce. Actually, we have gardens, uh, all the property we own, um, where we're growing stuff. And we're teaching the kids how to grow their own fresh produce and so that they can go home and teach their own parents. Um, we have a number of different types of things that we're doing in this hostile environment because we're still exilers in a strange land. Uh, I'm being reminded of the fact that uh, I need to help you understand that J. Jara Ministries Church is not really a church, Vista. Really, it isn't. No, we're just, um, it's an embassy. We're ambassadors of a kingdom. And so the king has given us instructions to go into this strange land. Hmm, I think I read somewhere in the Bible. So I need you to take my culture, take my paradigm, take my instructions. Uh, I, think, I, I think the king said that uh, I have power over death, hell, and the grave, that 
because I rule, I need you to go teach. I need you to go baptize. I need you to go disciple. And in the Greek, what that really means, as you're going, teach. As you're going, disciple. As you're going, immerse. Immerse my culture. Immerse my paradigm. Immerse my principles of my kingdom in this hostile, marginalized community. And so as a result, the narrative has began to really change, where law enforcement told me two years ago that crime has been re reduced 40%. In eight years, crime reduced 40% in eight years. How did that happen? How did that happen? Where we began to worship with the community. So when we worship, right, Vista, when we worship, we have communion, right? We have bread and wine. Uh, but the book of Jude calls it love feast. So in 2012, the Lord told me, he said, Norman, I need you to have a community love feast. Really? Yeah, yeah, I want you to have, because uh, they're not going to come to my table. I need you to go to their table. And so what we did was we went to a city block that was, uh, had a historical context of loss of death and loss of life and high crime and violence. And it was a vacant land, piece of land. He said, that's where I want you to have the community love feast. And so what we began to do in this love feast, we wouldn't have just bread and wine. We would have beef hot dogs, macaroni cheese, cheese buggy, you know, macaroni, uh, macaroni, uh, macaroni salad, green beans. You understand what I'm going to. And, and we, we would have all these tents and tables. We had gospel music. We had bouncy houses. And we invited all the people to come, these 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 unclean people that Yeshua was known for inviting, these, these, these drug dealers, these prostitutes, these gang members, all these people that he did, he was known for eating and drinking and hanging out with, we said we want y'all to come to our love feast. So we also invited the mayor, we invited the city council, we invited the Columbus Police Department, we invited the fire department, they bring in those big old red shiny machines called trucks, and the kids would just lose their mind. And, 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 and I mean, it was just festive. And we would do that three times a year. And, and so we would, have, we would have a tent with a registration table. The first time we did this, we have a registration table. And in that tent where my wife was, and so if Fred and Barney and Pebbles and Bam Bam, they would come, she would say that we need your contact and information. We want your name and your address, your email address, because someone from our embassy will contact you to find out how can we be a blessing to you. And, 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 and we have another tent next door to me, and that's, that's the prayer tent. So if you need prayer, you can go over there, and once they pray for you, they'll give you a free T-shirt. Uh, but then if you, all you want is, is just a plate, because we know you, we know you why you're here, because you see what this big old spread that we have. Well, we're going to give you this blue ticket, and you're going to see the bald-headed black guy over there. Now, he got drama issues, so you just beware when you're going to see him, because he's going to mess with you. So, that, so they bring me that ticket. And, and last year, it really blessed me, saints, because uh, someone had given me um, uh, 100 uh, backpacks for school for the kids, and they didn't know where to find any kids. And I said, oh, I know to find some kids. And so we had all these lines of, of people, black, white, male, 
female, Jew, Gentile, Protestant, Catholic, I'm just playing. Anyway, so we had a long line of people with blue tickets, but seeing these kids draped over their shoulder with backpacks. And, and we made sure, the first time we did this, Vista family, 600 people came. Over 600 people came to our love feast. And that's how we really began to engage. Final piece on this story. We read that um, we found out what their needs was. So someone would contact them if their phone was working. If their phone was not working or they didn't have a phone, I literally, hi, I'm Pastor Norman Brown. I see your name is Stephanie Getz. And on, on the sheet here, it says wheelchair ramp. And so I said, Ms. Getz, uh, how can I help you? And she's opening her door, and she's a Caucasian woman. She's an amputee, and she's in a wheelchair. And she says, well, I've been living here in this double for five years. And my landlord would not build me a wheelchair ramp. And she's going on and on. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, that's a violation of ADA laws. Can't be doing that. So we, we said, well, Stephanie, we'll get back to you. I, I just met you, but let me see what I can do to help you out. So I go, I take her story, and I go to Home Depot. And I write it in a formal proposal. And Home Depot response was, Pastor Brown, we're going to give you $5,000 worth of gift cards. $5,000 worth of gift cards. Remember, our God doesn't work in scarcity. Our God works in abundance. Now, at the same time, we were also seriously considering about doing our own community garden. So since we got $5,000 worth of gift cards, most likely we'll try to buy lumber for the wheelchair ramp, and we'll buy lumber for our community garden. But we needed someone to build it, and I got a phone call from a guy from Galena, Ohio. Now, Galena, Ohio is way north of where I live, okay? But he called me, and he said, Pastor Brown, I hear what you've been doing in the community. Can I come and play? I said, sure, Bob. You can come play. Can, uh, what can you do? He said, I'm a contractor, and uh, I got this dirt team crew. We build stuff all the time, especially when there's a crisis situation for families. Oh, really? I said, can you build a wheelchair ramp? And I began to tell him Stephanie's story. He said, Pastor Brown, I want to get involved. He said, now, keep in mind, I'm an architect. And he said, Pastor Brown, I'll do the drawings for free. And I'm thinking, now you're stealing my thunder. <laughs> so Bob said, well, let me bring some guys down, and I will do the drawings for free. I said, Bob, I'll go to the landlord, and I'll tell him, give me $200 worth of, um, for the building permit. So long story short, we were able to build her uh, a wheelchair ramp. Now, part of her narrative was the fact that um, she lived with a, a, a her, she had a live-in boyfriend who was African-American, and she was Caucasian. And so she did go to a church, but they were really um, getting on her, and they were judging her based upon her lifestyle. And so she left that church. But her prayer was, Lord, allow me to find my own church home. And so what she told me was that her boyfriend would have to pick her up, walk her down the steps, set her on the curb, go back in the house, get her wheelchair, go down the steps, put it on the sidewalk, put her in, 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 in the uh, wheelchair ramp, and then she would go about her day. But now that narrative has been changed. We are able to change that whole lifestyle. Now, unfortunately, 
unfortunately, Stephanie does not, Stephanie Getz does no longer live anymore. Um, her name is Stephanie Moon, and she does not live in that house anymore. She, her and her husband, that was her live-in boyfriend, they, they live together and they are married and they live in a senior housing complex. And Stephanie did find a church home because she's one of the disciples in my church. And so she has her own site where she does her own handicapped uh, wheelchair accessible uh, garden that she works in. She, she's a volunteer in our food pantry. She's a volunteer in our uh, uh, food distribution. She's a, we just can't get rid of the girl. She's a volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. But those are the kind of stories that you really like to have. So these are the things that God has given us a revelation on of how you flourish, flourishing in an exile, flourishing where you're changing culture, you're changing paradigm, you're changing lifestyles of people. And so one of the reasons why I'm here is I want to invite Vista to come play with us as well. So the, the ideal is, is that whatever your passion is, Whatever ministry that you have, uh, you need to understand this stuff because the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter number two, when you receive Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior, Philippians 3.20 says that you became a citizen of heaven. So as of becoming, you have dual citizenship. I don't know if you realize that you have, you're a citizen in the earth and you're a citizen in heaven. And if you're an ambassador of the kingdom of God and you're a resident of, of the heavenly realm, you have been marginalized to live and have influence in a hostile culture. Oh, we live in the United States of America. Yeah, still Babylon. Still Babylon. And, and need to understand God has an expectation, just like he did everyone else, to flourish while you're in exile. And so what are you supposed to do? The scripture says you need to have Marry and have sons. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Now, if you found out what we did in our ministries, we have a housing program for at-risk youth, ex-offenders and veterans. Every property we deal with has a community garden and everyone knows belongs to me because we got roses all around it. That's my thumbprint. We have settled down not to just marry the and have family there, but we engage the entire community. We know people's children, their grandchildren. We've settled down. We have roots there in this community. Scripture says, and we also are supposed to increase, not decrease. We're to seek the peace of our community, but also shalom for our city. And we pray for our community. We pray because the Bible tells us is when the righteous reign is when the city is blessed. So in this hostile, marginalized community, God's presence is there and they're being blessed because he has set up an embassy in that sphere. God has placed you, Vista, in a particular domain where his requirements is, is that I need you to flourish, flourish, Flourish is not based upon the prosperity gospel when everyone's supposed to have cars and money and houses and you're doing all this naming and claiming and blabbing and grabbing stuff. No, no, no. That's not pure theology. Pure theology is when you have the fruits of the Spirit, when love, joy, meekness, temperance are flourishing in your house. 
but it starts as a seed. I do urban farming. And so the Lord began to help me understand how this kingdom operates. He takes a seed and he puts it into the ground. And when it becomes surrounded by darkness, it's encased with dirt. But then it dies. Then it breaks through the darkness and it comes into the marvelous light. And the parable of the mustard seed is that that seed has a purpose where it becomes a bush so that the birds of the air can lodge in its branches. That's the thing that God wants done in this house of worship. One of the things the Lord told me to speak to for those who have gray head is to remind you of the narrative of a woman that was in exile. Her name was Naomi. Because she was exiled, her husband and her boys were killed. And as a result, she became bitter. And she did not want Naomi uh, to come along with her. Actually, she told both of her daughter-in-laws, go on back where you came from and don't bother me uh, and, and leave me alone. But Ruth decided to walk with her. And so we know the narrative because it, only, it was only four chapters long, right? So Naomi, she became better at the end. And the Bible tells us that at this old age, God had renewed her youth when she, she was she didn't bear the child, but she began to flourish in her body where she can bring life and bring milk to her grandson. Now, I'm telling you, that's a supernatural work right there where God can call you to go from bitter to better and you function like the multi-breasted one and you provide milk and wholeness and wellness and peace to a next generation. That, that, that narrative is important because that son became the grandfather to a guy named David. So what is it God wants to impregnate with you? What is the incorruptible seed that he wants to put inside of you? What is the thing that you become like Mary where you're carrying this child and you're swelling up? with all the stuff that's going on. I can't, we can't come together as a community. We can't do the things that we used to do. Our culture and our environment has been all turned upside down. And so thereby, we got to transition from a place called Nazareth and but go to a place called Bethlehem. But Bethlehem is the place of promise. Bethlehem is a place of birthing. He's transitioning you. I don't care if you're gray head or not. God is changing you, transitioning you, where you're carrying the sperma, the seed, so something can get birthed through this ministry. Whatever you've been doing, it's been good. But the Bible keeps telling me that which is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. There's something more that he wants to get done in this house of worship. There's more that he wants to do. He wants to reveal himself like Joseph revealed himself to his family. There's more that God wants to do through you for you and to you so that the rule and reign of God can be birthed in this place of worship. I pray for you that, that God will so do a work in your life that you become a community of Christ followers that when God uses you, that people will not see you. They'll see the great one, the great I am, that God has birthed something through your life for his glory in Christ Christ's name. Thank you for your time. I pray God's blessing upon you. Amen.